Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Write or Die show. I'm your host, Randy Lee Bosla. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking to Melanie Gibson. If you have not already, hit that like and subscribe button. Do it right now before we get into it. I'm waiting. Ready? Okay, you should have done it now. Let's get to the episode. So welcome, Melanie. Excited to have you on the show. Hi, Randy. Thanks for having me. And I'm excited to be here. Um, so tell us about Melanie. Who is she? So I am a writer and a martial artist. I live in Texas and sometimes I write about martial arts. So that's me in the the briefest way possible. (laughs) I like that. So what martial arts do you do? I do Taekwondo. It's a Korean martial art. It's very similar to karate. I'm a second degree black belt now. I had done it as a child for a couple of years and then just stopped because life happened. And then I started again in my early thirties. All right. That's exciting. And where are you joining us from? I am in Fort Worth, Texas. So I'm in the Western part of the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. Nice. I've never been to Texas, but I have a lot of guests from Texas. It's a very popular place to live apparently for authors. Texas Mm -hmm. and Florida are my two most popular states. Yeah, it's kind of neat. So I don't know. Um, All right. So let's get to it, shall we? Mental health. So you just start your story wherever it is you think is best. Okay. So my IDs as a writer and a martial artist are intertwined. And that's how I found my way onto your podcast is that I found both writing and martial arts as a way to cope with mental illness. So I'll I'll try to explain this briefly, but it'll probably be a long story too. Um, I'm good. I have had mental illness my entire life, although I never really sought treatment until I was about 30. And I was reflecting on that earlier today. And I think part of it was I grew up in a small town in rural West Texas. Uh, my parents aren't from Texas, but they, they ended up there because of my dad's job. And it was a great place to grow up. It was beautiful landscape and really nice, but pretty isolated. And it did, they didn't really have any resources. And from what yeah. I've heard from friends who were there, it's still kind of that way. It's kind of a mental health desert, yeah. literally. And this and, is going to sound, sorry, this is going to sound horrible, but will we up here in Canada, when we think about Texas, it's like the super conservative state. So I could imagine, and again, this is just like people talking shit because that's what they do. But like, it's so conservative that, you know, mental health probably wasn't even a thing that was talked about. And just that that's what we think of when we think of Texas, which again, it's not to say that like, it's true, but from the news that we receive, that is the message we're getting. Oh, it's, you're receiving the truth. It's a very conservative <laughs> state. We have a garbage piece of trash governor. <laughs> you can, okay. you can tell which way I, I, I don't want to piss off all of my Texas listeners, right? But uh, I'll, okay. do it, I'll do it for you. I'll do it for you. Governor Abbott sucks. So, um, but Texas, I love Texas. So I'm not leaving. My family's here. Uh, my home is here. There, are, uh, besides our our crappy government, there's there are a lot of good reasons to live in Texas. Um, yeah, and uh, I actually like the heat. I really like the the hot weather down here. But I yeah, I mean, it's it's a conservative state, maybe except for Austin, but in parts of Dallas. But it is a conservative mindset, and so people and people try to be tough because you know we're Texans yeah, and exactly we're, everything's we're bigger in Texas. Yeah, we're, you know, they are the bugs too, but uh, yeah, we just try to be tough and hold it all in because you know we're too tough to have mental health problems. Well, that can be really damaging, and I think as a child and growing up in the 1980s too, yeah, you just didn't have the language for it, especially as a kid. So, as I got older it turned into thing. I mean, it manifested as, as things when I was younger, but what it ended up being when I finally sought help from a a psychiatrist and counselor was depression, anxiety disorder, and bipolar disorder. And for me, I very much suffered from perfectionism too. And I'm Mm. still kind of getting over it at age almost 43. And that also, so that has nothing to do with being Texan. I think that was just me too, putting pressure on myself to hide it. So I went to college and graduate school, got a corporate job, bought a home, all those things that I, you know, I thought I was supposed to do, yet I still felt miserable. 
And I denied getting help for a long time. And, and if I can give a message to anyone is, is don't wait. I mean, I, I turned out okay. Thankfully, nothing really bad happened. But I think that just exacerbated the problem. Yeah. Was that I actually had, yeah, I actually had a really great conversation with a couple of um, other business owners that I'm in a networking group with about therapy and how um, the one guy was saying, well, first off, it was me and two other guys. And both of them had been to therapy. And both of them were like, guys need to suck it up and go to therapy. Like therapy is not a bad thing um, at all, but it's very like when guys go, it's a whole different like look you get from people. Um, But he was saying, you know, every so often I start getting really like grumpy, upset, whatever. And then I go and I have this conversation with my therapist, 45 minutes, whatever. And it's just like a weight's been lifted and I'm, I'm in a better mood again. Like, it's not to say that it's something that you have to be crazy quotation marks for those who can't see that, um, to go to therapy. Therapy is there to kind of release all of your pent up whatevers. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think we're seeing more of that post COVID is that people realized that mental health is part of every, everyone's well-being, whether yes. you have mental illnesses or not, everybody can get sad or anxious or angry. So I think there's still a long way to go. Um, speaking just for the United States anyway, there's still a long way to go, but yeah. there has been a lot of progress in the yeah. area of, of rec- lifting the stigma of mental health, recognizing mental health in the workplace. I've seen a lot of good things come from it. Yeah. Uh, same with here in Canada. There, there's been a lot of progress, um, but there's a long way to go. Like you said, mm-hmm. long way. All right. So sorry to interrupt. Back to your story. You were talking about growing up um, and people weren't talking about it or you didn't have the language to talk about it. Um, And then eventually you sought help um, and you said depression, anxiety, um, bipolar. So tell us how, like, how did you react when you found out that those were your diagnoses? It was a relief. And um, to add to that, just last year, last year was a really difficult mental health year for me, 2021. And I was finally diagnosed with atypical anorexia, which I suffered probably since I was about 13, was in huge denial, even throughout the the book I wrote about uh, using Taekwondo to help me with my mental health. I think I was still in denial, but it was the same feeling. It's a feeling of relief, especially with something like bipolar disorder. It's like you take a scary monster that's in the dark shadows and you bring it into the light and you look at it and you're like, Oh, I can, I can take you. Right. So oh my now goodness. Yeah. Now I know what I'm dealing with. I can get the right treatment and the right medication for it. I can do research on it. I can work with my therapist to, to mm-hmm. kind of learn some new habits and some yeah. new coping skills yeah. to deal there, with this issue. Exactly. There was a long stretch of time and I think it's, it's slowly starting to change. Um, as more of us talk about it, but there's been this long history of, if I don't tell anyone, it can't be true. If I don't go see the doctor, it's not true. Well, it doesn't make it go away, but it makes it so you can't help yourself. So when you do finally get the diagnosis, like you said, it was, it's a relief. Like I was the same way when I got diagnosed with things. Oh, and yeah, research was like the first thing I went to. I'm like, I need to know everything. <laughs> Whether or not it applies to me, I need to know it all. Um, so yeah, I don't think, I think there's been a long time of, if I just, if I just bury my head in the sand, then it doesn't happen. It's not real. And that's broken arm. Don't get better. If you don't go get treated. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So you said atypical anorexia. What is the difference between atypical and the regular kind? So I'll explain this as best as a layperson can. Basically with atypical anorexia is that the behaviors were present at some of the mental processes, but I physically was not underweight. I didn't have the physical health problems that you see with uh, anorexia, like issues with my teeth or my hair falling out or anything like that. Um, but the, the food restriction was definitely there. I was obsessively weighing myself. I was obsessively tracking my exercise. So, um, and, and when I sought treatment, I really wasn't, and this was kind of the second time around of seeking therapy. I wasn't even seeking it for having an eating disorder because I was in such denial. I was just feeling miserable. Yeah. I, um, uh, work was 
really hectic. I, I work for a healthcare organization. I am not frontline, so I don't even want to compare myself to oh, people yeah. who are working frontline. But it's still, if you're working for a healthcare company, a hospital system, even if you're behind the scenes, it's been stressful to say the least. It's been really that things change constantly. Yeah. You have to turn around projects really quickly. So yeah. I was very, very stressed out with that. I'd had a, a an injury and some surgeries and it's been taking a long time to heal from that. So that's, that was, I think, front getting to me. And so my coping mechanism, not a healthy one, I don't recommend it was restricting food. Yeah. And I admitted that when they did the intake call, they said, so what, tell me about your eating habits. Are you restricting food? And I was like, well, yes, I am. So oh my God, help me out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I thought, okay, I wasn't going to lie about it. No. And that was really kind of the best thing that could have happened was to, to be open about that. But that was a, probably a 12 year span between getting my first diagnoses of bipolar depression and anxiety, and then mm-hmm. doing pretty well for a long time. And then 2020 hit 2021 hit. And even, uh, I wasn't seeing a therapist at the time last year, I'd stopped around 2017, but I was still taking medication, seeing a psychiatrist. Uh, but even then, you know, the weight of the world has been, it's been hard for a lot yeah. of people and it, it just about broke me. Yeah. So a couple of things that stuck out to me as you're talking there um, was when you said, well, I don't want to, I wasn't going to lie. And I think that's really important. If you are finally at a point that you're seeking help, be honest, be fully, totally honest, because if you lie about something you're like oh no I don't restrict it because you're embarrassed of it or you're like oh I don't have I know I don't have an eating disorder so no I don't really restrict it then you're not gonna get the proper help they're not gonna be able to give you what it is that you need because they don't have all the information that they need in order to do that so that's Mm -hmm. the first thing that I wanted to like really point out and the other thing is just because we're both um, into martial arts it's Now, I don't, I'm going to say it's pretty common, but I actually have no idea if it's pretty common or not, but I'm going to say that. Um, It's, it's a common thing that athletes can develop an eating disorder. Now I have no idea if your eating disorder went along with that, had any kind of thing with that, but um, for myself, and I have never been diagnosed with an eating disorder. However, I did notice for a long time that, and I, I still have an issue with food, but like for a long time, it was, you have to be a certain weight in order to compete. And mm. so I was told by my, my one coach, you know, you need to be this weight. I'm like, okay, I'll be that weight. 112 pounds. Okay. No. <sighs> yeah. I was like, I was like skin and bones, but I was like, hey, that's what I was told. So that's what I'm going to do. And I competed at that weight for a few years and I was grumpy. I was mean. My husband's like, you were a like it wasn't good I didn't even feel healthy I didn't feel strong like I just but I was told something and I stuck to it and then even after um I stopped competing and I mean I think a lot of people have issues with their um like body image issues right so I've had them my whole life I used to be told oh you're the pretty one because you're the skinny one Mm. so now I had to always be the skinny one so I could be the pretty one like it just you know, it gets in your head. And so as a teenager, it was already started. And then as an adult, I start competing and it's got to be this weight. So then even after I stopped competing, I still would restrict what I was eating. And so it's, it's taken a long time just to be like, I, why am I doing this? I don't, I don't need to do this. There's no purpose to do it. But then I also swing the other way and I'm an emotional eater. So then I'm binging. So it's, it's not an easy thing. And so I think it's such an awesome thing that you were able to say that on your intake and be able to get the help and be like, and now telling everybody, yes, I I was diagnosed with atypical anorexia. Here's what it is. And we're going to talk about coping strategies, but it's, it's a brave thing to do. So, you know, if you're noticing for yourself for anybody that's listening, if you're noticing that you're like, wow, some of this is ringing true. Like I, I do have major body issue images, um, issues, or I do restrict my food, or I count every single calorie on top of every single workout and whatever, then it might not be a problem. I, I know somebody who feels better when she weighs all her food and I don't know. Um, but if you think there might be a problem, go, go talk to somebody. 
Um, so anyways, I, I wanted to point those two things out from what you were saying, because I think they were so important. And okay, so how, so you said it started as a kid that when you look back, but what age were you when you actually went for the first diagnosis? I was about 30 and I'm 42 now. Okay. So the anorexia was very recent. It was recent, but I've had issues off and on since I was a teenager. So sometimes I would restrict or binge and then sometimes it would go dormant for a while and it was dormant for a long time. And for me with Taekwondo, I I didn't do uh, competition sparring or anything. So I never had to worry about making weight. So that was, that was never an issue. And I think actually when I was training, I, I was probably more cognizant of, of eating the right amounts of food. Cause I was fueling my body. I saw myself yeah. as an athlete and, and I wanted to fuel myself. And, um, there were just a lot of things that happened in the last two years that switched on those stressors. Part of it was not being able to do Taekwondo. Um, I, yeah. I tell everybody this, so I might as well tell you, so I tore my ACL in 2020 doing oh. Taekwondo. Um, it does come, you know, it does come with its risks. That yeah. is one oh, of, of course I've broken ribs. You know, yeah. So, um, and then, then I've had, I have reconstruction surgery. I had another surgery to take out scar tissue. Oh. Uh, it's been a very, very long recovery. So I, I wasn't able to train for about a year and a half. I just started back in it's March now. And I just started back in January. Okay. And so I think that it was kind of a, a blessing in disguise too. And I'll describe that in a moment because it was stressful. It was sad. I lost kind of part of my identity. I lost the thing mm-hmm. I love to do the most. I lost the thing that had really helped me uh, gain control over a lot of my mental health and emotional health issues. So that was a big blow and not being able to train. I think that was, that was part of it with work and pandemic and all that stuff, pile Mm -hmm. all that on and something, a trigger is going to to happen, but in a good way, this is where the kind of the blessing came in is that I was not really able to exercise other than walking and doing yoga. And I'm just now getting back into things like strength training. So when I was, when I was seeing a nutritionist and a therapist and doing kind of, I did some group therapy sessions too, with, with nutrition and eating disorder specialists, I could solely focus on learning how to eat again and being okay with that and accepting my body. And I couldn't, I'm going to say this with air quotes, I couldn't cheat by (laughs) exercising. Yeah. I couldn't go off and think, well, I'm going to have a two hour sparring class so I can work off this sandwich that I just ate. I think I might've still been, I think I might've used Taekwondo to, to fight, you know, fight whatever I was trying to do to make myself healthier. So having an injury, having such a a terrible injury like that and major surgery forced me to respect my body. That sounds so childish. And that is so valid because so many people do that or they don't even realize they're doing it. And as you're saying that, um, it brought me back to something. I can't even remember who said it, or maybe it was even a TV show. I, I can't remember, but they were like, oh, we have to go out for our after dinner walk so we can burn this off. Mm-hmm. Right. So if that's been our mentality as a society, because I've heard it more than once, right? Oh, make sure we go to the gym, get these mm-hmm. calories or, or, oh, I went to the gym today. So I get this cookie, right? Like if that has been our mentality, it makes total sense that it would take a devastating injury to kind of reset your brain and relationship with food and focus on getting better and healthy. Mm-hmm. So I'm some days I'm not glad that this injury happened, but other days I am because I think it had to be something that drastic for my yeah. brain to reset and think, oh, gee, maybe I should be respecting my body instead of tormenting it. Yeah. And the first time when I started eating more regular meals, um, I I don't want to trigger anyone by telling them what exactly I did to restrict. So I won't say, but I stopped doing that behavior and it was amazing. The difference in just my brain function and how, how I felt, I can't really describe Mm -hmm. it in complete detail, but going from a starving brain to a fully nourished brain is an incredible feeling. It took a yes. long time. It took about a year for the, that depression that was happening to kind of dissipate. But, you know, you think, duh, of course, fueling, <laughs> fueling your, yeah. your muscles and your organs is important. Same thing, your brain's an organ too. Yeah. So 
just feeding that made me feel better. And I thought, oh gosh, my, my poor body, what have I been doing all these years? It was almost counteractive to what I was doing in Taekwondo with the training is yeah, I might've been undoing some of that by restricting food. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of glad this injury happened because it just reset how I think about my body and how yeah. I treat my body. Yeah. And I like how you're looking at the positive side of it too, because you could have had that injury and go, Oh, I'm injured. So I can't do anything. Oh, poor me. And now I'm gaining weight and I'm losing this or whatever. Like there's right. You could have milked it for sympathy and for excuses, but instead you're looking at the positive side going, you know what? Now I can focus on fueling my body properly. I can focus on just, um, the other things in my life, all my mental health. So I love that you're looking at the positive side of it. It's so important. Thank you. Okay. So now is there any last words of wisdom or anything that you want to share about anorexia? Because I'm going to switch over to talk about uh, bipolar. Okay. Uh, Seek treatment. It it is, I can't make anybody go to counseling, but I can just say, I'm I'm saying this as an old lady with experiences is seek treatment sooner rather than later. Um, it, It, and it takes time. Honestly, you know, I didn't go from hating my body and punishing it to overnight switching to being totally accepting of it. It does take time. So you will have to practice some patience in, I don't even need to get to a place where I think I love my body. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. I just wanted to feel, I remember telling Kappa, I just want to feel neutral. I don't want it to take up any headspace. I don't want to think about it. Oh, I like that. I'm I'm taking that because I'm always telling myself I need to be happy with my body because I still hate the way my body looks. My husband's like, you look nice. I love it. Blah, blah, blah. You know how husbands are. Um, and I like that. I just don't want it to take up any more headspace. I'm so stealing that for myself. Take it. Yeah. Steal it because I mean, that's why you're saying it. (laughs) Yeah. Take that idea. And I kind of felt that way. Some of the things I've been talking about in counseling and how I feel about work and all stuff. And it's like, I don't need to love my job either. I just don't want it to take up any real estate in my head. I just want to do it and honor it for what it is. Just like my body, treat it right when I need to. And then I don't think about it. And I've I've gotten to that place with my body, but I will say it just takes time and some discipline and and practicing new habits over several months. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's not going to be a fast thing. It's going to take time. It's going to take work. Um, but stick with it because it's so important. It's so so worth it too. Yeah. So let's talk about bipolar. So explain to the audience. And of course, we're not doctors here. Explain to the audience what bipolar means. So Your understanding not, a, not a nurse, even though I work in healthcare. Um, so bipolar is a, um, from what I understand, is a, a chemical imbalance in the brain that can cause the person to go between two extremes of mania, which is, uh, or for me, sometimes it was hypomanic. So it wasn't quite the extreme of that, but feelings of elation and almost, almost feeling invincible. Everything is wonderful. Having racing thoughts, racing ideas, grandiose feelings. Some people do a lot of extremely risky behavior, uh, like sexual activity or shopping or, or driving fast cars, things like that. Um, and, and for some people it's more of just the racing thoughts, which is how it is for me. And then you, uh, vacillate to depression and it can be extreme it can be suicidal depression and depending on that person it can be short periods of time sometimes people can switch from day to day sometimes it can be months at a time I think for me um I would I would experience those different aspects the mania and the depression but it wouldn't be it would never felt like an overnight change. And it didn't always feel like they would happen right run right after the other. Sometimes I would be manic for a while and mm-hmm. then I would just feel kind of normal. And then I'd go through a depression and I compare kind of the way I handled or didn't 2020 and 2021, 2020 kind of sent me into a manic phase, not okay. super, you know, again, <laughs> I've never really done anything that's had major consequences. Thank God. Um, but, but my had racing thoughts, I had all these ideas. I'm going to do all these things. And I burned out really quickly. So yeah. that was 2020 and then 2021 has been this long depression. So that's, that's how I've experienced it. That's kind of the, the basic definition of it, but it can, it can look different for everybody. That's why it can be very dangerous. That's why it, it can be hard to diagnose. That's why it can be hard to treat too, because I happen to get lucky. The medications my doctor prescribed me work. Oh, and good. some people go years. 
Yeah. Some people, but some people go years just feeling miserable because they're on the wrong type of medication. Yeah. So un- unfortunately there's no one good shot that, you know, it's not like, well, you know, like you tear your ACL, you go and you fix it with surgery. Yeah. You can't do that with a bipolar brain. Yeah, it's true. And really for any mental health, you can't just, there's no easy fix. Right. And even with medication, um, there's, you know, three or four or five, however many of the same type of medication, but they all work that little bit different. Um, so it can take time before you find one that works for you. And it can be very difficult to stick with the process of getting the one that, that works for you because there's side effects and things like that. And sometimes is, are the side effects worth it? And, you know, and only you can decide that for yourself. Um, nobody can decide that for you. So it's, yeah, it's always, and I say the same thing about my antidepressants. I was lucky because I, the first try it worked, <laughs> but I know for my kid, we had to try a whole bunch of different ones before we finally got to the right, the right type of medication that worked for him. So it can be a long process. Try to stick with it if you can and listen to the doctors. They, you know, sometimes we're like, oh, I don't know what they're talking about, but they do. They do. <laughs> they do. And also I haven't experienced this personally, but I know people who have done this. If your medication isn't working, don't just stop. Talk to your doctor about weaning yourself off of it because there can be very terrible side effects if you just stop yes. your medication immediately. And on the flip side of that, if you think your medication's working, you don't need it anymore. Don't just, you know, stop it and talk to you. Make sure you talk to your doctor to wean it off or to decide if it actually if you're actually better without the medication or if you're better because of the medication. If the medication is working. Yeah. (laughs) So for those of you that could not see what I was doing there, I was pointing at myself because, and I've told this story before, um, the medication was working so great. And so I went off of it and I got so sick and back so depressed and I'm back on it now and it's good. And I will not do that again. If I, if I feel that I want to come off of it, I will definitely talk to my doctor first. But that was bad, bad news. Um, and my, my husband ended up having to clean the car. Some grossness happened there. Anyway, so how did they finally diagnose you? Because like you said, it can be a really hard thing to diagnose because a lot of us only seek help when we're in a depressed state. A lot of us don't realize that there is this manic state that is not necessarily a good thing. So usually, you know, most people get diagnosed with depression, at least first in the process of trying to figure it out, because that's when we seek help is when we're thinking I shouldn't be here anymore and suicidal thoughts. And we're like, oh, I better talk to a doctor. And are you ever manic? No, I'm fine. So how did, how did I work for you? I think that was another case of just being honest about things. So I did I was feeling suicidal. That's why I called uh, a helpline and, and got in touch with a therapist. And so I started seeing this wonderful therapist around 2010 and it was helping and I still had suicidal thoughts. So she referred me to a psychiatrist because at that point we thought, okay, there is something going on in my brain that all the talk therapy and journaling is not going to fix. So I, I guess, I mean, it was, it's been so many years, I don't remember the conversation, but I think he asked the right kind of questions. And um, there is also a family history of depression and bipolar disorder. So um, yeah, so I I have a couple of family members who have that. So between that and him asking the right questions and me giving the right answers, I guess that was his, his diagnosis. And then when I started thinking that was when, when you bring it into the light and you start looking at okay, I have done those things. I have exhibited that behavior. I have had those types of thoughts. Um, And And this is where martial arts comes back into play because that was around 2010, I started seeking help and and maybe a message for for, uh, those with mental illness is that therapy is good, medication is good, and you might still feel bad. So you may need to find that outlet. And so around 2013, I was, when my recent counselor called me Hot Mess Express, I was <laughs> making a lot of bad relationship choices. My moods were still all over the place. I wasn't suicidal or anything. I haven't been since I've been on medication. And I was just I was just being a moron. And I was blaming everybody for my problems. I was just, mm-hmm. that was a piece of work. And so I'd thought, I'd kind of thought over the years, oh, maybe I'll do Taekwondo again. It was fun. I liked it when I was a kid. Yeah. And so then I was, 
downing my clonopin with whiskey every night and starving myself to cope with the breakup from some dumb guy who doesn't even mm. matter. And so I thought, well, why not start now? And, and I discovered that my, my teachers out in Snyder with the town where I grew up reported up to this grandmaster he, and he was here in Fort Worth. So, and I remember he was a scary old Korean guy and he would come to our tests and our tournaments and he operated his school here in Fort Worth where I've, li- I've lived here since 2005 and I didn't know that. So yeah. I, I thought, well, that's where I'm going to train. So I, mm-hmm. and I've, I've since left and gone to another school, but I started training with him And that was kind of like when going from just being on therapy and then getting into the medication. And I always felt like the medication was like a net, like I could still sink into depression, but I wouldn't fall down the bottomless pit. I I have heard others describe it the exact same way. And I feel the same way. Like I, I still have low days, but I don't feel suicidal. So I think that's, yeah, I think that's the perfect description Mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. So I wasn't, I wasn't feeling suicidal, but I was in a pretty bad place. I was doing stupid things. I was just making myself, I was tormenting myself. And so when I started in Taekwondo, it it was a couple of things right away. It was, it was a distraction. So it got me out of my house. It's something to go do after work a couple of days a week. It gave me a community and I'm sure you experienced this doing Muay Thai and kickboxing, but it gave mm-hmm. you, it gave you goals to reach. You yes. got feedback from people. You, you got, you gained friends and mm-hmm. almost a family. And so, and I felt like that helped me become a little more even keeled. Now, obviously, since I told my story about what I've gone through in the last two years, it's not magical. Nothing, medication <laughs> no, isn't magical. No, no. not magical. Taekwondo is not magical as I kind of learned the hard way. Um, because I think I, I even got a little too reliant on that to make me feel better, yeah. but it, it certainly, it took me from here way up into the stratosphere of feeling better. And, and that's when I really started getting into writing as I was having these insights and thoughts about things. I, I got to get this out of my head. Yeah. And so that's when I started a blog and then I finally wrote a memoir about it. Yeah. So both the writing and the Taekwondo have been great outlets to, to take the, the damage that the mental yeah. illness has done to funnel it into a, into a creative message that yeah. has helped other people. Yeah. So, okay. So again, you've said a few really, really intriguing things. So when you said that um, the Taekwondo made you feel like really like so much better and it's in combination of other things. So remember how I said I went off my medication because I was feeling so much better. It was because mm-hmm. I was exercising multiple times a day. So, um, I got certified as a personal trainer, uh, four years ago, three years ago, uh, I think four, I think four years ago. Anyway. So I was teaching some classes and so, um, I'm teaching a class and then I'm also doing my own workout. And sometimes I might teach two classes in the day. So I would working out anywhere from one to three times a day. Um, and so it made me feel so elated, so awesome. And that's when I was like, I don't need these anymore. But it was totally unrealistic to expect the exercise to be the only thing that was keeping me going. And so I've learned that the hard way, but it was, it's so interesting to hear you say that because I went through the exact same thing. Um, so that, that's kind of interesting. And then the other thing that you said is, um, I can't remember how you worded it now, but you said something like, um, I figured might as well just start now. Right. And yeah, yeah, that was, that was with Taekwondo is, is, um, and I think I mentioned to one of my, my parents, I said, you know, I I might start Taekwondo if this relationship with what's his name doesn't work out and it didn't work out. And so I just had this thought because my poor parents put up with so much for me. They're very, they're, they're wonderful people. They, they have put up with me for over 40 years. So, but I would call them and just, it's funny now, but it was just very frustrating for everybody involved. I would call them and just sob incoherently into the phone. Like, I don't know what I expected from them. I think I was just very lonely and hurting and I needed something and, and they just did as best as they could, but it seemed like it was a broken record. So I, I thought I needed something drastic, like mm-hmm. throwing a bucket of cold water on somebody just yeah. to snap me out of it. And that's what I thought, okay, I'll do Taekwondo. I'll do something so drastically different than my life of, at the time I was uh, commuting to a city about 20 miles away sitting in a cubicle and, you know, have the button down shirt and the corporate job, mm-hmm. which I still do, but um, it's, 
it, I was very much in that mode. And so when you go from sitting at a cubicle or, or doing leadership training or, or all that grown up stuff to fighting a 15 year old boy <laughs> and, <laughs> and you're gross. Right? It's just such a fun way to snap out of that. It is. I always joke that the reason I started being a kickboxing coach is so I could beat up on the little kids. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah. It's, it's fun. I've Some of them are the hardest competition yeah. because they've got all the energy in the world. And then they're, then you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. I'm old. <laughs> I know, but it makes you, it feels so good. I, yeah. uh, sparring is... It, it's not the thing that I'm, I'm great at, but it's fun. And it's so exhausting. It's just like, it rings everything out. You're so yeah. exhausted that you feel all those endorphins at the same time. And it also exactly. forces you to focus. Cause you know, you've, you've competed and sparred and everything. Oh, yeah. Someone's trying to kick you in the face. You really can't think about <laughs> anything else. So no. if you're having a bad day or you're inside your head, <laughs> you really can't start to let your mind wander or, no. you know, there you go. There's a point right to your head. Right. Exactly. Um, but I love how you said, I might as well do it now because it's something that I, I sometimes try with myself. If I'm like, Oh, I could do this tomorrow, but why might as well just mm-hmm. do it now. Might as well start now. So that's something that if somebody's been on the fence of, should I call a therapist? Should I talk to my doctor? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, you might as well. <laughs> tomorrow's going to be here anyway and hopefully you will be too so it, it, do you want us to keep feeling the same way and I think that was my question to myself with starting taekwondo was I hated feeling that way I wasn't doing much to get myself out of that situation but I hated feeling that way and I knew I had to do something different or it would be that same miserable cycle over and over again yeah I love that so you know use that everyone who is listening and watching use it mine as well do it now. And you're actually the second guest to say that. Um, and I love, I love it. Just start now. Why wait? doesn't make sense. Um, all right. So what has been your, I mean, we've kind of already talked about your coping strategies, but what are some of the other ones that you might use if there are others? So we know Taekwondo, we know writing, um, and we know therapy. Is there any other ones that you kind of use on, on the regular basis or even an irregular basis? Ones that maybe you're like, Oh, I got to do this. Yeah, I've got a, a private one and a more public one. So private one is I've been journaling since 2012. Uh, my therapist, after two years of begging me, finally got me started on that. So with writing, I do more public writing, like articles and things like that. But then I still journal um, pretty often, enough that I have boxes and boxes that my poor niece will have to deal with at some point. They, they all go to her and she's got, <laughs> she's got oh, some time geez. on her hands. She's got some interesting things to read. But with journaling, whereas that's something private, maybe I know a lot of your listeners are writers, so they might write books or articles or things like that, yep. but journaling private. And so you can really work through, you can be obsessive in your journal. Nobody's going to care. Nobody's reading yep. it except you. And it helps you work through issues. And that something about the act of writing makes it objective and almost helps you step back as an observer. Yeah. And you can start to see patterns and habits and thought, just thought patterns and things that you might be doing and think, okay, maybe I want to change that. Or maybe I want to do something differently next time. Oh, yeah. So that's something I do privately. And then publicly, I kind of got the podcasting bug last year because uh, I, I started going on podcasts as a guest and I thought, oh, this is really fun. I like doing this. And I was yeah. also super depressed last year. Last year sucked. And so I'd had in my head for a while, I think I want to do something. And my boyfriend and I are both really funny together. At least we think we are. We, we love to watch movies. One of the things we do is we watch movies and sometimes it'll take us hours or days because we'll pause and we'll just start talking through it. There was something we were watching. <laughs> oh, we were watching the, the Marvel Thor movie last night and pause. I started complaining about something and I looked and it was like a minute 43 into the movie, but we do that a lot and we say some really funny things. So I just got my head, oh, let's, let's do a podcast. It'll be funny. And so and I was just feeling awful. I didn't feel creative at all. I didn't want to yeah. write anything. I was just felt like I was dead end in, in other places in my life. And so I, I told him about it and he was game. I didn't know if he would be, I, I do public speaking for my job. So I'm very comfortable doing oh, it. Okay. I didn't yeah. he be. But he was like, yeah, let's, he got us set up on YouTube and Twitch and, Ooh, and all that nice. stuff. I thought we were, I thought we were just going to be on, you know, anchor or iTunes or something. Yeah. yeah. So, so we both, both done our part to make it grow. So we started this podcast called movie pain or pleasure. 
And we've done about 20 episodes with a few bonus ones in there. And we'll talk about a movie that we've seen and we'll say, is it usually, is it either something we hate watch that was just miserable, but it's still kind of, looks like, you know, like, okay, like the Twilight movies or something where they're yeah. bad, but you kind of enjoy yeah, being so, so bad that you enjoy it. Kind of. Yeah. Or sometimes there's some that are infuriating, like uh, the ring too. That's the first one that popped into my head because the first one was really good. And the second one was terrible or they were guilty pleasure. Yes. And like the first one kind of wrapped up the story. They didn't need a second one. No. And and the first one scared me so badly. I still have dreams about it. So I remember. Okay. Slightly off topic, but kind of on topic because we brought it up. Um, So I remember when, when the ring the first one came out I was in high school and me and my best friend we went to go see it and I love horror movies she likes horror movies but I'm like ooh, give me some horror movies so I can laugh I'm a little bit anyways so we get there and the the theater's packed so we end up having to sit like front row which I hate doing but whatever so we're front row and we're sitting there and sorry for everyone who's just listening and not seeing this but we're sitting there with like our feet up on the chair I'll move my mic right feet up on the chair and I can't remember what happened, but one of the scary parts, right? And my friend grabs onto my leg and like claws into my leg. She's like, ah! <laughs> and I'm laughing because I mean, it's hilarious her reaction. Then it's hilarious to me on there that so many people are screaming in the theater and it's just, yeah. But that one, yeah, that was one of the actual scary movies of the world. So yeah oh you know that was another coping mechanism honestly is watching horror movies because for a while I wouldn't watch them okay because when I saw the ring the first time that was probably 2003 or so I watched it on HBO after it came out I have had nightmares ever so I'll probably have a dream about it tonight but I've had nightmares ever since then for 15 almost 20 years and so I stayed away from horror movies because I have a really active imagination I'm like she's right behind me right now so (laughs) that's that's what my book is telling me like I know she's right behind me but well I see um, her there in the window no I probably should I know I know I I I didn't say that I'm just like girl (laughs) same I'll see you in my dreams tonight but 2020 was such a a god-awful year for everybody and so I started kind of watching horror movies to to cope with it because sometimes they're funny or if watching and we watch them during the daytime, we have scary movies Sunday and I can make fun of it. So if I sit there and I I comment and I make fun of it, then it's not, it's kind of like seeing your diagnosis in the light. It's not so scary. And at the end of 2020, I I told my boyfriend, I want to watch the ring. And he was really surprised because he was very good about like he would, he, if it popped up on Netflix, he, you know, hurry past it. Oh, like, really? that's sweet. You know, it's, it's very considerate. And he was like, really, you want to do this? Like, yeah, I want to watch The Ring. And so we watched that. We watched the sequel, which was awful. But then, okay, here's a recommendation. There's a third one called Rings, R-I-N-G-S. And it came out in 2017. And I don't think it did very well with critics, but I loved it. It was scary. The story okay. was cool. Trying to think if I saw it or not. I remember hearing about it. It was good. Remember. I love that. Okay. I'll have, to, I'll have to go watch it again yeah. one day. I, I say again, because I assume I probably watched it. <laughs> the thing about watching horror movies, if you're not really into it, is that it's almost that, that, that you know the jump scare is going to happen. You know, yeah. she's going to come out of the well. And being able to get through that fear and the jump scare, I had this realization that that's kind of what having anxiety feels like, is that you're always waiting for the jump scare. And that terror of waiting is almost worse than the scary thing that actually happens. So that's why now I love horror movies and I kind of like the scary parts yeah. because you get that little thrill. Yes. And so that's sometimes what I saw, especially because my anxiety is probably the thing that... Mm, gnaws at me the most like I can handle the bipolar stuff I can handle the depression the anxiety is kind of always there yeah and so when I think of it like that like a jump scare and think okay it's not so bad and even when the scary thing happens I've always been able to get through it or it's it's never as scary as you think it's going to be so I don't know if horror movies were kind of a an exposure therapy type of thing but that was a weird if somebody wants to try it as a coping skill yeah I watch, love horror watch, watch the dumb ones or watch the good ones. Yeah. Combo of both. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. I love it. And so what is the podcast called again? Say it again. Our podcast is called Movie Pain or Pleasure. So we are on YouTube. We're on Twitch. We're on Anchor, Spotify, and iTunes. And we also have an Instagram, Movie Pain or Pleasure podcast. Nice. I love the name. So 
I have a secondary podcast. It's not on YouTube or anything. Um, cause I do book reviews on my blog and I was like, well, if I'm already blogging about it, I'll just throw it into an audio version. Right? like, I can just talk about it. So I, I started doing that and I had such a hard time coming up with like a name for it. It's just called what I'm reading. <laughs> it's, it's to the point, right? It's to but, the point. Uh, I was thinking before I was like, read it or hate it, but somebody already came up with that. So it's like, no, so it's just what I'm reading, but I love that movie being her pleasure like that. Thank you. Thank you. And, and AJ, my, my boyfriend's brother made a really cool graphic for us. So we have that. I wanted to call it movie jerks, but there already (laughs) is a podcast called movie jerks because we're just the way I describe it's just like, we're two a-holes who talk and complain about movies. It's not like we're experts or anything. We're just two jerks. who think we're funny. Yeah. I love it though. That's great. Yeah. I've been toying with the idea of of building a third one because I watch so many horror movies that it would just be my review of the horror movie. And, you know, to keep on brand now that I have one, I would just call it what I'm watching. Or what scares me or something like that. Exactly. Love it. So, all right. So let's start wrapping up and uh, tell us about what you've written. Okay, so I have written a memoir, and I'll, I'll hold it for the those of you who are watching. You can see that nice cover oh, here. It's cute. It is called "Kicking and Screaming: A Memoir of Madness and Martial Arts," and that is it tells the story of going from white belt to black belt, and also my journey of having just out of control mental illness to getting a pretty good handle on it. Obviously, I am still living with mental illness. There's no, I'm not cured but I am living successfully with it. So it goes through that story of how I grew emotionally while I was training in Taekwondo. So that's available anywhere books are sold. Um, You can also, I also write a blog. That's how this all got started. And it's called Little Black Belt. I wish I called it. Yeah, it's like Little Black Dress. It's a good accessory to have. So Little Black Belt, that's still, uh, and I'll do a little plug. If there are any writers who are also martial artists, I do like to have guest writers on. So even if you would like to write something about Muay Thai, you're welcome to do a guest post on my blog. Maybe, maybe. Maybe, maybe I should share the story of going off medication because it was working so well. Well, you've got one on you. So so (laughs) idea. And also um, I I write for a website called Martial Journal and they take, it's all kinds of martial artists. So um, they, they asked me after I was on a podcast called Whistle Kick. And I think one of the guys heard it and said they wanted me to write about the kind of mental health aspects of, of doing martial art. And so Mm -hmm. I've been writing a monthly article for them since October. Oh, cool. Very, very cool. Yeah. So we'll have to chat some more about that stuff. Yeah. Um, and where do people follow you? Obviously your podcast, my podcast. <laughs> so I'm most active on Instagram. I'm at Melanie Gibson author. I'm also on Facebook under the same handle. Um, but I'm probably more active on Instagram. And so that has links to everything. It has links to my book, to my blog. Uh, if you go to my blog, you can hear all the podcasts I've been on and, and I've written several articles about mental health in the workplace and things like that. So that's also a good resource for just kind of mental health stuff in general. Yeah. But uh, you can start with Instagram because the Linktree link has everything. Um, it has links to my podcast. Also, our, our podcast has an Instagram page too, Movie Painter Pleasure. So uh, we, we just did a spoiler-free review of The Batman. Ooh, very nice. I have not seen that yet. So yeah, so if you need to start somewhere, start with Instagram. Nice. Oh, we're going to stick those links in the description down below so that we don't have to just remember it because maybe you're maybe you're driving the car as you listen so when you get to work just check out the description down below (laughs) so any last words that you would like to share with our viewers listeners it's okay to not be okay and it's okay to seek help yes awesome so thank you melanie so much for being on the show thanks for having me randy I probably could have talked to her for like another three hours. I was having such a great conversation, but time is fleeting. And eventually I had to end the episode. So there you go. Um, But that was an awesome episode. Again, thank you, Melanie, for coming on the show. It was great. Check out her links in the description down below. Check out that podcast too. I love movie reviews. I love movies. So if you didn't know, I was going to be a famous actress when I grew up. But I guess having my own YouTube channel 
kind of works for me. Um, so yes, be sure to do that. If you want to support the show, then of course we have our Patreon page where you get some behind the scenes footage and you get early reads of what I'm writing, which currently I am writing about my brother who died of addiction last year. So very heartfelt, difficult book to write and very worth the read when it comes out. Um, as well, we have a merch store. I'm not wearing any of the merch, but we have a merch store. 10% of the proceeds always goes back to the Canadian Mental Health Association. Thank you again for coming, uh, coming on the show, Melanie. And remember, the only way to end the stigma of mental health is to speak openly and honestly. Bye!